Welcome into the 49er Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett, and today is part two of our San Francisco 49ers 2023 training camp preview. In the last episode, we discussed the rookies, some day two or or year two players, and also some undrafted free agents and the goals for them coming into training camp. But today... We're going to talk about the rest of the roster. We're talking Trey Lance, Brock Purdy. We're talking Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Nick Bosa. The biggest headlines coming into the 2023 San Francisco 49ers training camp. Again, my name is Sterling Bennett. Don't forget to leave a like, share, and review on the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube again, hit that like button. You can always take it back if you don't like the episode once you finish watching it. And don't forget to use our promo code 49ersaccess at SeatGeek.com. 49ERSACCESS. Save yourself $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com. And without further ado, let's dive into the biggest headlines, some goals for certain players. What are the biggest talking points coming in to the San Francisco 49ers 2023 NFL training camp? And let's start on the defensive side. I know you want to talk about quarterbacks. Just give me a second. We will, we, we will get there. I promise you. But I want to quickly hit the secondary for a second because we actually got some news yesterday. That being Tuesday, July 18th with rookie Daryl Luter Jr. going on the pup list. Um, we're not really sure what the injury is, but he's not going to be there for what seems like the first few days of practice um, starting next week. On, I believe it's Wednesday. Um, but so Daryl Luter Jr. is injured. Not sure what's going on there. And so with that being said, let's talk about the secondary. And first again, Luter's hurt. Not sure what exactly is the cause of the injury. Um, again, on the pup list, which means it's it can or cannot be football related. It may not. It may not be. Who knows? But he can come off the pup list at any time. It is not the same thing as injured reserve, so it really has nothing to do with the 90-man roster overall. If he's healthy in a week and a half, he can come off the list and there'd be no problem whatsoever. But when it comes to the cornerbacks as a whole, including Luther's injury, this is one of my bigger concerns for the season for the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, they have offensive line issues. We'll get to that. Yes, there's a big question mark as to who is that number two edge rusher. We will get to that. But in the secondary, we know three things are certain. And by those three things, I mean we know we have the starters. There are three starters. Charvarius Mooney-Ward, Isaiah Oliver, and Diamond Lenore. They are locked in. Those are your starting three cornerbacks to begin the season unless injuries occur. But now Luter's hurt, and that leaves Ambry Thomas, Samuel Womack, and a bunch of unproven guys like Quantrez Knight and Deshaun Jameson, amongst others, in that group fighting for that last cornerback spot. And so, with Luter being out, your depth obviously weakens. And the assumption, let's say worst case scenario, he's out for the entire training camp in the entire preseason. And let's say he even misses some time in the regular season. Who is your sixth cornerback? Do they carry six cornerbacks? Do they inevitably put him on IR? And if they do... Do you trust Samuel Womack, who he shined early in preseason last year and actually started in the nickel to begin last season, but eventually got benched once Mosley and even Lenore came along 
uh, prior to Mosley getting hurt against the Panthers. And then you have someone like Ambry Thomas, where you have a new defensive coordinator in the building, Steve Wilkes. How is he going to play under him? I know Steve Wilkes did mention that he was impressed by Ambry Thomas, but again, you have a player who came on strong towards the end of 2021 in that playoff run, and last year was nowhere to be found, was unplayable for 99% of the year, and you have reports of they were unimpressed by what he did in the offseason to build upon his strong 2021, and now we're in a situation where if looters hurt for a long period of time, the depth behind them weakens, and unfortunately, injuries do happen. Jason Verrett, Emmanuel Mosley, guys do go down. You don't want to wish the worst on somebody, but in a case of the San Francisco 49ers secondary, you can argue it could be the weakest part of their defense simply because you have an aging Deshaun Gibson, who again, I like. And, and, and when you're talking about the weakness of a number two rated defense, how weak is that part of the defense? Oh, probably not too much. Then you have Hufunga, who had an all-pro, you know, second-team all-pro year, but struggled late in his coverage and big-blown plays. You have young players like Jair Brown and Taylor Hawkins trying to fight for their spot on the roster or to find more playing time in Brown's case, because he'll obviously make the roster. And so you have a secondary, which on paper looks strong when healthy, but as soon as guys start getting knocked off and guys start getting nicked and injured, all of a sudden those, you know, those depth concerns rear their ugly head. And in this case, with Luter being hurt, could it be nothing? Sure. But once Luter gets hurt, then it's Thomas, then it's Womack, then it's Lenore and, 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 and Mooney Ward. San Francisco finds themselves in a spot where either someone has to step up or it could be a place where in 2021 it's saying, hey, somebody go out there and play and we hope you work out. And in that case, it did for them. But in the biggest game of the year, they faltered. Uh, Avery Thomas and Emmanuel Mosley were awful against the Rams in the NFC Championship game. And so you don't want to find yourself in that position again. Training camp hasn't even started yet. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But with Luter being hurt, it does raise the question of who's going to step up if and when inevitably somebody goes down, no matter how serious the injury is, that does concern me. Um, another question I have coming into training camp is, can Lenore, can DeAlman or Lenore continue his strong OTAs in minicamp? He was physical. You can tell he wanted to build upon the strong season he had last year. Is that going to continue? Um, I think it certainly is. Um, it's going to help getting guys like Debo Samuel alongside Brandon Ayuk in the fold to kind of, you know, become a better cornerback, go against better talent, test yourself, test your skills. Um, again, Brandon Ayuk was cooking guys left and right in OTAs and minicamp. Um, and Lenore was being, you know, I guess you can say the Brandon Ayuk of the defense in his, you know, in his position where guys weren't getting great routes, they weren't breaking correctly. He was kind of stuffing guys in multiple areas, being physical, being handsy, being the cornerback we want him to be come the regular season. But again, if depth is an issue, and even if Lenore takes a step back or is similar but not as good as the cornerback he was next year, or last year, excuse me, a San Francisco could find themselves in a position where they are questioning not only their depth, but maybe even their starters. Again, so much has to be played out, but when you're going in the training camp discussing the biggest headlines, you have to be sometimes 
a little harsh with yourself as okay this Niners team should find themselves in the playoff hunt easily this team also should find themselves playing in the NFC championship game again easily and this team could very easily find themselves fighting for a Lombardi trophy come February but let's go into all the speculation of what could be the downfall of this defense and maybe even to a you know, a stronger extent, the team itself, it's July 19th. I don't think we should be sitting back saying, this is the exact reason why, but pre-training camp, you want to ask some big questions. Can Lenore continue the ascension he built upon last year? I think he will. I loved what I saw, and I think he'll continue that come to training camp against Debo and against Ayuk and Juwan Jennings and Danny Gray and Emma Cloud. But there are some lingering questions behind the starters that make me say, well, if someone goes down, it might get kind of dicey for San Francisco if they do indeed lose a starter behind maybe some weak depth. Um, the defensive line, I think, for San Francisco also finds themselves in an interesting position because we know the starters are there. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, and the assumed defensive end number two, Drake Jackson. But let's start at Nick Bosa because we saw this past offseason that Nick Bosa is going to get paid. He wants to get paid. He even made a comment in his press conference when he arrived at OTAs and minicamp um, to just kind of make himself present that, look, I'm going to get paid and I know my worth. And the question is, what is your worth? And I think every fan, every media person, every podcaster, every single person that covers the NFL and knows their money, he's going to become the highest paid defensive end in football and could even become, if not the highest paid defensive player over Aaron Donald, he will easily become the number two highest defensive uh, player, highest paid defensive player in the NFL. Um, he's earned that, obviously, running defensive player of the year, but the question is when will that happen? Or, or if it'll happen, it's more of when will that happen? Because my assumption would be they want him out there day one. Um, and if he's not, again, you can, you'll know, I'll be at training camp. Um, but I think with Nick Bosa's case, it's not really, you know, there's not going to be this back and forth of, I deserve this, I deserve that. It's going to be, you know, two parties coming to the table saying, we know what you're worth, Nick. You know what you're worth. Um, we want to get this done as fast as we can. I would not be surprised knowing San Francisco's cap situation next year. Um, them already being over the salary cap <laughs> uh, next year and having not played a game this year that they may want to add built-in void years or do what they did with Jalen Hurts. What the Eagles did with Hurts was they added in like almost three separate different guarantees in that contract to kind of make that cap hit lower initially. Um, that's the route I would take with him. Again, a lot of room and a lot of you know time to go before that actually happens and before a snap is even played come this year. But you want to pay Nick Bosa. He wants to get paid. He's not going to play unless he gets paid, obviously. He's not going to practice unless he gets paid. Um, but I do think Nick Bosa, knowing how San Francisco likes to do things early August, late July, um, they want their leaders in that building as soon as they can be. Um, Nick Bosa did not have to come uh, to OTAs and minicamp, and he was there later um, to make himself, you know, to kind of send a message saying, hey, let's sit down, let's talk this out. They've already traded contracts. We know they have. 
Um, that's how this stuff goes. And I do think Nick Bosa gets signed, if not the first week, the second week of training camp. They want him out there. They need him out there, especially with knowing that you don't want to risk, you know, having a disgruntled defensive player of the year and then leading to, again, worst case scenario, Cleland Farrell and Drake Jackson being your number one and number two edge rushers. I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, it's not going to happen. Nick Bosa is going to get paid. But again, once you pay Nick Bosa a record-breaking extension for edge rushers, the question then becomes, who is your number two edge rusher? And I think the assumption and the easiest one is Drake Jackson. Um, I was on a podcast with Jack Hammer a few months ago, and we talked about you know what is the 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 high end for Drake Jackson. What is what is the expected sack total? Is it ten? Is it twelve? Is it eight? Um, and I don't love doing that, but I would like to say that six is a safe bet that would double, I believe, his rookie total. Um, again, Drake Jackson looks like a monster. Um, he's built like an all-pro, which is what Trent Williams said. So I would lean towards um, believing Trent Williams and having seen Drake Jackson up close and personal with no pads on. Um, I was shaking in my boots because <laughs> he's that big of a guy. Um, but I think Drake Jackson not only comes in as the favorite, he also comes in as kind of the training camp darling. Um, when you have leaders of a number one ranked, number two ranked defense praising you left and right, commending you for the work you put in, you have coaches discussing about, you know, how hard he's worked in the offseason, um, how much dedication and how much time he spent in the building trying to get himself right and make himself, you know, built for a long playoff run. Um, I think Drake Jackson is this year's training camp preseason darling. The question is, does he produce um, come the regular season? And for him, again, we will obviously see more once pads come on. We know that he has the bend and stuff. Um, when you hear Nick Bosa say, that he's gained muscle and hasn't lost speed. Um, that's something that I want to see in person. Again, you trust Nick Bosa, you trust Trent Williams and stuff, but I think for Drake Jackson, it's, you know, he had to change positions so many times at USC. This year, he's had to change his body composition as to, you know, fat to muscle to weight to, you know, again, do you keep your speed when you gain your muscle? Some guys don't, some guys do. Um, that's one thing I keep an eye out for. Um, again, you don't really get to see much of the defensive ends and defensive linemen come training camp until team drills start and until pads come on. And so it's been tough to spot, you know, how good he's looked in OTAs and minicamp. But I think for Drake Jackson, it's how do you balance getting stronger, being able to push back a right or left tackle while also retaining this insane athleticism he had at out of USC that made San Francisco fall in love with him in the second round. Um, behind him, you have Cleland Farrell, Austin Bryant, guys like that, Robert Beal Jr. Um, I talked about Beal Jr. in the last podcast. If you want to hear that stuff, go listen to that one and dove into what I expect from him. But I think San Francisco has always been great at adding depth behind their starters that will at least get you something. Um, Cleland Farrell, Austin Bryant, Kerry Hyder... Those are those guys are not going to be the reason you lose games, and they are likely also not going to be reasons you win games. Um, you know, I love Samson Ebukam, I love Darden Key, 
they were really good pieces for this team for how much they were being paid. Um, and they were fine last year as well for other teams and Ebicom still being here with Indianapolis this year. Um, I don't expect much from any of them. I think a lot of the expectations are on Drake Jackson. Now, is that a lot of pressure? Sure. It has to be. That's, you are a second round pick for a reason. Um, I think San Francisco is ready for him to take that jump. I don't think they are going to shy away from saying, look, you need to be our starting number two edge rusher. Um, and I think he's up for the task and the challenge. Um, and behind them, again, when you have so much depth that makes other NFL rosters kind of look at you and say, wow, that, that guy could start for us. Um, that, like, Cullen Farrell started last year for the Raiders. Now, again, it's a bad Raiders defense, but Austin Bryant contributed to a you know mediocre, if not to awful, Lions team, but was a shining star as one of their depth role pieces. And San Francisco plucks these guys every single year of like, you know, you were a really good piece for a bad team. Come to us and we can make you a star and get you paid. Um, and if I was going to pick anybody out of that group, I think Austin Bryant fits that mold of, you know, diamond in the rough guy from Detroit last year, didn't show much or, or the production isn't like a 10 sack guy a year, but in San Francisco, he fits the mold of that guy who comes in, gets you, you know, surprisingly six to eight sacks. And oh my goodness, he gets paid for two years, you know, $8 million from a team in a year or so. Um, I don't have much faith in Clellan Farrell, but I will say this. I love being wrong. It's always the best trait of doing this job of prove me wrong and I will shake your hand and say congratulations. Um, Clellan Farrell at the end of minicamp and OTAs had a great practice. And I think for him, it's about, for any new player, actually, it's about learning the system. How do you fit? Um, OTAs and minicamp, while the, the, the coaches know you from your tape and playing against you, that is really more of a let's get to know you and put you in basic drills that we can see where your strengths are, see where your weaknesses are, and kind of see how you adapt to certain things. And training camp is where that ramps up to its second level. Um, again, no pads. It's hard to tell. But I do like the prospect of Quellen Farrell, but I have my eye on Austin Bryant being you know, that number four defensive end behind, whether it's Farrell or Jackson or Bosa, um, that I really have my eye on coming into training camp this year. Um, the other one, the big one, Javon Hargraves here, what's his impact? Um, when you have a defensive tackle who can play every single down, what seems like, or at least play every single game for you, um, and can get you 11 sacks, double-digit sacks, um, and you add him next to a defensive player of the year, um, that makes everyone's job around them easier. And so... When you talk about you know retaining Nick and extending him and you adding in Javon Hargrave, that does open up space and will make the job of Eric Armstead and whoever's playing edge number two, whether it's Jackson or Brian or Farrell or Kerry Hyder, it makes their job so much easier because now San Francisco has three defensive players that will play at the exact same time on the same offensive line that can all take up double teams. Um... I would expect many teams to be playing, you know, you know, max protection, a lot of inline tight ends against this team, a lot of double teams. Because if you don't block Nick Bosa with two guys, he's going to get through. If you don't block, you know, Hargrave with two guys, he's going to get through. And if you don't block Eric Armstead with two guys, 
he'll take up two guys on purpose in Drake Jackson's unblocked, Bryant Farrell, same for them. So the impact of Javon Hargrave, I don't think he'll get double-digit sacks this year because it'll be okay. Pick your poison. Who are you going to double-team? You can't do it every single play. And I think teams are going to find themselves in positions where it's like, okay, we can't, we're not going to let Nick Bosa beat us. We're not going to let Hargrave beat us. That opens doors for, again, Jackson, Farrell, even Eric Armstead, who missed some time last year and had no sacks. I know fans talk about, he had no sacks. Oh, my God. Armstead stinks. He doesn't get tackles, doesn't get sacks. Eric Armstead's a great player. Um, and I think this year we could see this, you know, somewhat resurgence of his sack total numbers or his tackles being higher than what it is, which doesn't equate to impact by any means. Um, but to appease fans, this could be this, you know, next step or this reemergence of Eric Armstead's box score being higher for them. Um, but the other big one, and literally and figuratively big one, is Javon Hargrave, or excuse me, Javon Kinlaw, the other Javon on the team. Um, the squirrel eater, as I call him, because um, <laughs> he had that video last year, two years ago, of him eating a squirrel in the forest. So weird. I don't know why you'd ever put that in your mouth, but okay, Javon, Javon Kinlaw, do your thing. Um, and hopefully his thing this year is actually playing football. Hopefully his knees are okay. And again, look, you never want to look at a player and call him, you know, he has glass knees or, or, or you know, make fun of or talk down to a player who is obviously trying his best to be on the field. Um, and I think we are going to see, if he wasn't already, a more motivated Javon Kinlaw. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, a limited snap count kind of player. I don't know if that is put both Javons in the same field and just have two gigantic human beings up the middle and literally force a defense to block both of them with four guys. Um, you can tell down the stretch Javon Kinlaw was not himself. And what I mean by that is didn't have his legs under him, was getting pushed around left and right by tight ends and receivers and guards, and just was not the player San Francisco assumed he'd be because of the injuries he's had. Um, but I do think for Kinlaw, as a human being, as an NFL player, when you are told by the team that drafted you, after you already know you've essentially been a bust, we are not going to pick up your fifth-year option. Um, we don't value you at the price in which we drafted you. Um, and to a lesser extent, look at him and say, you've done nothing for four years or three years for us. Um, I think that is, you know, one of the hardest pills to swallow, um, being a failure. Um, it doesn't matter what place in life you were in, what where you work, or who you are. Um, when you mess up as a person, you know you failed. And for an NFL player who is scrutinized over and over again, um, who has been in local media beefing with them for a handful of days and weeks, um, Javon Kinlaw has had a target on his back since the day he got here. And it stinks and it sucks for him, but you cannot tell me he doesn't know he's failed so far. And I think for him, it's how do you build that trust back, not only for San Francisco or this coaching staff, but also the NFL as a whole. And I think for him, it's you have to come in with the idea that my body has to hold up. My knees have to hold up. I cannot get hurt anymore. Um, and again, could that be a limited snap count? Sure. 
Could that be you are a you know a first down guy, a second down guy, and that's it? Could that be you are a bona fide run stuffer and that's all you are? Play a role. We talked about Robert Beale Jr. in the last podcast where it's you have to find your role when you're a rookie and stick to it, then progress in other areas. If you can etch out your role early, that can carry you for a while while you progress as a player. And for Javon Kinlaw, he somehow, after three years, finds himself in that rookie status for me where it's, okay, what is your role? Can you define a role for yourself? Is it you are a, you know, a pass a pass play down? Is it, Are you a run-stuffing defensive tackle like a DJ Jones? Um, and so for him, it's, you know, you have to kind of come in as a rookie wanting to prove yourself over and over and over again. And for Javon, I want him to do that. He's, he's a, He was a good player at South Carolina. But again, it's a big year for him. Um, moving to the other offensive line, or the other line of scrimmage is the offensive line. Um, and that, again... This one quote in The Athletic, I'm not sure if it was Matt Barrows or David Lombardi. Uh, it was a mailbag article they, they were writing. And somebody asked them, what happens if Colton McKivitz gets hurt? And it was very short, three words, hold your breath. Um, and I think that kind of epitomizes how I feel about this entire offensive line. Um... I think it's a good offensive line. You obviously have the best left tackle in football. You have Aaron Banks and Burford, two young guards who proved themselves last year. Um, Room to grow for sure, definitely, but they proved they can be a starting offensive line that can play in playoff games against some of the best defenses in football. Um, That's impressive. Jake Brendel, no problem with. Um, Yes, we criticize on this show not taking the right tackle in the draft. I get that. Um, and Colton McKivitz will definitely have all eyes on him come week one and all through preseason and training camp of, if he isn't even Mike McGlinchey, who fans don't like, who I think was underrated, it's going to be a massive area of complaints from fans and media and even myself. Um, but my worry really isn't the starting five. It is that depth. Uh, again, we talked last week or earlier this week about, you know, who's going to step up. Is it Nick Zakelge? Because right now, that depth truly is just John Feliciano, a bunch of year two unknowns, and then a bunch of undrafted free agents. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Joey Fisher? Is it going to be Matt Pryor? Il Manning? Nick Zakelge? Jalen Moore? There's a big issue. With that, because Trent Williams has missed time during his tenure in San Francisco, and Colton McKivitz has been that backup tackle for San Francisco. And if he's playing right tackle, um, sure, can you move him to left tackle? Yes. But once you get into the season, you don't usually shift your offensive line, at least your starters around, when someone happens to get hurt. Um, usually you want to keep as much consistency as you can, and if that's the case... I, at this moment, do not trust Jalen Moore. Um, I'm intrigued by Leroy Watson a lot. Of course I am. Converted tight end, like 300 pounds now. He's huge and massive. But if you can't be fluid in your run blocking, if your footwork is slow, um, if you can't get out on your blocks, then you can't play. Um, And for the guard position, again, Joey Fisher, uh, 
Is he going to be a starting caliber player? No. But San Francisco to me views him as a, you know, draftable player that was undrafted. And he's going to play guard, probably left guard, maybe right guard, we'll see. Uh, but I would assume San Francisco at this point has one depth piece behind their starting five, and that really worries me. Um, I know fans will point to, well, last year it was Jake Brendel, and we all were saying, you know, what are they going to do? Alex Mack is gone. Jake Brendel's here. Jake Brendel was a backup center for so long in Miami, and he was a practice squad guy. Like, who who is this? And he was an all-pro this year, or a pro bowler this year, whatever he was. Um, a, a strong season for a veteran backup career center like Jake Brendel. And so the assumption is it'll be somebody like Jake Brendel to step up if someone happens to go down or at least be a solid backup behind these guys, whether it's the Kelge or Il Manning or Fisher or Jalen Moore or Matt Pryor or Watson. The assumption is someone's going to do that. And who knows that best? Obviously, the coaching staff can go, okay, this guy and that guy and the other guy. But, you know, as soon as those pads go on, and you have guys like Kinlaw and Jackson and Farrell and Bryant and Hyder and Nick Bosa. Um, you know, while some guys aren't going to be lined across from Nick Bosa, um, a lot of guys on this team, because of the holes San Francisco, or at least question marks San Francisco currently has, want to prove themselves, um, need to prove themselves. And so the question is, you know, you know, pressure makes diamonds, right? And when a player like Kinlaw or Drake Jackson or, or, or Clellan Farrell, when they face pressure, are they going to become diamonds? That same conversation turns to the offensive line. Does Joey Fisher become a diamond? Does Nick Zakelge, who had a snapping problem in OTAs and minicamp, does that come back to haunt him in training camp and preseason? Again, it's practice. That's where your mistakes should be made. Jimmy G threw five picks and then the same season led this team to a Super Bowl appearance. It's practice. Make your mistakes there. And it's not even training camp yet. But there are questions you have to ask. And this is like, of all the areas I have concerns of, I think this is my number one. It's that if Trent Williams goes down, this offensive line maybe goes from 10th, 11th in football to like 17th, 18th. And you're playing Dallas and the Giants and the Steelers and the Eagles. That's a nightmare scenario for a team like this who really should be in a Super Bowl game this year. They should be. And again, we're not saying guys are going to get hurt, but it happens and you can never predict who it's going to be to. Um, I would assume Christian McCaffrey never assumed in 2020 and 21 He'd missed the majority of the games, but he did. Um, Debo Samuel last year seemed to have a season-ending injury, but was okay after three weeks. Things happen. You don't want to have guys get hurt, but the depth of the offensive line is a massive concern, especially for a team that wants to establish the running game and be so physical on both fronts. If you have young rookies, undrafted guys in there who are maybe are a little timid, who, you know, don't have the experience against veteran teams like Dallas, the Giants, or the Eagles, or Washington, or whoever else they're playing come playoff time, which they should be there, that's not a good thing. Now, you don't want to assume, but when you're looking at the situation right now, okay, where can I nitpick this roster? That's a really big concern for me. 
who is backing up this offensive line besides besides John Feliciano? I don't know. That's a real concern for me. Again, like the athletic borrows Lombardi said, hold your breath if someone, if anybody goes down. If if Brendel goes down, okay, Feliciano's there. If Burford goes down, Feliciano's there. But, you know, I don't want to call, you know, John Feliciano State Farm, you know, like a good neighbor, John Feliciano's there. But once he's being used up in an area where someone else is hurt, he's not there. He can't play tackle. Who is this team's backup tackle? Do you know? I don't know. No one has proven themselves to be that guy yet. And there are so many young players that could be. But that's a big question mark for me. Um, the receivers, again, I talked about Danny Gray and Ronnie Bell in the last episode. Um, I told you how I, I think Danny Gray needs to remove that moniker that he didn't place on his name. But fans have that he was drafted for Trey Lance, can only play for Trey Lance. That like He has to prove that's not the case. Um, but for other guys in the room... Many of guys who we talked about before I took my two, three-week break was Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. For Debo Samuel, um, this is a massive year for him. Um, and we talked about how Christian McCaffrey may have not made him redundant, but it may have taken away some of the snaps and the production he had last year. Um, I would assume... That's going to change this year. Um, I think San Francisco wants to not just spread the ball out more, but utilize all their weapons at a more equal volume. Um, when you have Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, Chris McCaffrey on your roster, you want to make sure all of your star players get the football. Um, and while I don't think Shanahan's going to like you know make sure they all get five, six touches a game... I think it's going to be more of a conservative effort to make sure they are healthy come playoff time. Um, Debo's missed time. Chris McCaffrey's missed time. Kittle missed time last year. Um, you have to make sure these guys are up and ready to go in January and hopefully even in February. Um, and to do that, I think we are going to see a more you know, equal, an equally dished out offense this season, no matter who the quarterback is. Um, and I think Debo Samuel is a huge part of that. And I do think that's why we are going to see a resurgence in his production this year. Now, to how much? I don't think we are ever going to see a 2021 Debo Samuel ever again. Record-breaking season, insane touches, just one of the greatest offensive seasons ever from a receiver. He created a whole new position <laughs> on offense. Um, but I don't think we're ever going to see that again simply because the ball cannot touch his hands that much ever again in this offense with that many stars. That being said, I do think we have seen the videos, him working out. We've seen him say, I never want to put a season like 2022 on film ever again. Um, he looks to be, you hate to say it, you know, the best shape of his life, but... Debo Samuel looks like this might be the most motivated Debo Samuel we've seen since maybe his rookie season. Um, this seems to be the Debo Samuel that wants to reestablish himself as an all-pro, who wants to no longer be the 11th receiver on ESPN's top 10 receiver rankings. Um, I think he 
he believes to be a top five receiver in the NFL. I think he's going out there to prove that again. Um, and I think we are going to see a Debo Samuel that is running more angry, more motivated, more physical than ever. Um, but I do think that's going to come in less spurts than 2021, but more than it did last year. Um, he talked about being out of shape and things distracting him. Uh, he does not look distracted whatsoever. So coming into training camp, I think the storyline is, you know, receivers want to push each other. Um, Jerry Rice and T.O. wanted to make, you know, who's the better guy on the field every single day? Um, Randy Moss, Chris Carter, same thing. I mean, I think when Debo Samuel looks next to him and sees Brandon Ayuk out there, you know, slicing and dicing a number one rated defense in football in OTAs and minicamp, he's saying, I want to do that better than you every single day. Um, and I think for him, well, he's not going to play in preseason most likely. I think like Ayuk is motivated to get paid, I think Debo Samuel is motivated to, you know, have you and I say his name amongst the top guys in the NFL. Um, and I think for Debo, it's a big year to do that. The last thing you want to do for Debo Samuel is go into the offseason next year, having an, another bad season, and having San Francisco have to pick between cutting and trading. Now, we broke that down a month ago. It's a lot trickier and a lot easier for San Francisco to retain both of them, but tough decisions have to be made, and we'll see. But I think this year, Debo Samuel is going to be one of you know, we saw him be that spark plug, that electricity. This team needed it two years ago. Chris McCaffrey was at last year. I think a little bit of that power surge goes back towards Debo Samuel this season. And again, Brandon Ayuk, this is a huge year for him. He wants his bag, whether it's here in San Francisco or elsewhere, he wants to get paid. Um, I would not be surprised if he goes to the Jets in a year. Um, Salah's there, Aaron Rodgers is there, get him a ring, get paid. That's just me. Um, but God, I hope not, <laughs> but I, I just see that or maybe a, the Chargers. Um, but again, this is a huge year for him. Um, he talked about how he was not satisfied with 1000 yards last year. He talked about that, you know, he was still going to have that breakout season. We'll see. Um, but from what he put on, you know, the, the, the show he put on in practice in OTAs and minicamp, he, he's going to have an insane season. Um, now, again, who is his quarterback? We have no idea. Um, and we'll get into them in a second. But I don't think it matters at this point who Brandon Ayuk's quarterback is. I think he's that good of a receiver where he can make anybody look good. Um, you know, there are, are, there are a select few receivers in football that can make any quarterback look good. Um, I think Brandon Ayuk is, if he isn't in that conversation, he's nearing that conversation of, look, I can make Brian Hoyer look good. I can make, you know, Sam Darnold, Brock Purdy, Trey Lance look good. You know, I can make elite quarterbacks look even better. Um, and I think, you know, his skill set is so transferable to every single offense He's almost this, not a unicorn. He's he's not because Debo Samuel is more of a unicorn. But Brandon Ayuk is more of this, you know, every man's receiver. I can do it all and do it very well. 
And I think San Francisco, like, his job this year is to force John Lynch and Prague's hand of, you pay me or I'm leaving, um, and you're going to pay me high money and big money. Um, I think for him, I don't think he feels the pressure, um, but I do think he looks across and sees a guy who already got paid, see how that went for him. He knows what to do and what not to do now. Um, and I think for Brandon Ayuk, this is more of a... Like, Debo wants to reestablish his name amongst the top of the guys in the NFL as receivers. I think Brandon Ayuk, after already doing it last year, in my opinion, I think he wants to leave this season and training camp and preseason coming into this year and ending the year saying, I am the best receiver on the San Francisco 49ers who end the season as a top-five passing offense. I think that's his goal this year. That gets him paid. That gets him wins. That gets him stats. That's a breakout season for Brandon Ayuk. I think that's what he wants. And I think that's what he's going to get. Um, again, barring injury, things can go crazy. It's football. We know what it's like to being you know, back in 2020. Um, but I think this is a huge year for him, and I think he meets that call. Now, I'm not going to put stats on the line and say he's going to hit this, 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 and this. Um, but I do think he's going to make the Packers who wanted him go, darn, wish we had that guy, not Jordan Love. Um, I think he's going to end the season, if not at the top of the free agent receiver market, right behind number one. He's going to get the bag, and it's going to be awesome. And I think he's going to, at the end of the year, have his name, you know, as a, he's a true number one receiver on this team. That's the best case scenario for him. Um, running backs, Chris McCaffrey's Chris McCaffrey, stay healthy and you're good. That's really all it is. Um, he set the tone for this team coming into Taze minicamp. He was taking reps, doing drills. Um, sometimes it's like, hey, take it easy. <laughs> We're going to need you for, for 18 weeks. Um, and so for Chris McCaffrey, it's more of a, you know, do what you got to do, be here every single day, and just really, you know, be a leader. But also take it easy. Keep your body healthy, but behind him is my real concern because we talked about TDP and LeBorn and Ronald A. Watt in the last episode, but in this episode, while there are going to be kind of a you know, hints of what we talked about earlier, this is more of a Elijah Mitchell problem, and I like Elijah Mitchell. I've said it so many times here, and I'll say it quickly again before we go to the quarterbacks. Um, he's hurt too much, and I love him. I want him to be healthy. I want him to be on this team for a long period of time. He's a good running back. Um, he's a solid number two punch to Christian McCaffrey, a good complimentary piece to what he can do. Um, but Elijah Mitchell, man, uh, you have to play to be worth being on the roster. Um, and I'm not saying cut him by any means, but you got hurt in OTAs in minicamp. Now, I would assume minor, but you missed the entire last week. It was a big question mark as to what's going on. You've had time to get healthy, um, but now you get to get hit. And if you're already hurt a week into offseason you know, drills and the program and we haven't even put pads on yet, that concerns me. Um, and so my eye is going to be on, can Elijah Mitchell stay healthy in practice? not just games because the last thing I want is to go into the playoffs in the NFC championship game saying, wow, we have 
Debo's back, and Ayuk's out there, and Kittle's out there, and Chris McCaffrey's out there. Elijah Mitchell's behind him. Like, we have a healthy roster, and then learn that Elijah Mitchell can't play because he's hurt. And you're like, what happened? And I like Jordan Mason. I want to see more of Jordan Mason. He looked good in a very small sample size last year. Um, again, he's been called the closer for a reason. But I think for Jordan Mason, you know, his playing time is almost connected to the health of Elijah Mitchell. And guys like Ty Davis Price and Ronald A. Watt and Caleb Bourne, their roster spot are kind of tied to Elijah Mitchell. Because um, Mitchell's too good to just cut outright. But if he ain't healthy, that opens the door for playing time for Mason and a roster spot for LeBorn and Awad and, and TDP. And so my eyes are going to be firmly on every single practice. Is Elijah Mitchell attending and is he doing drills? That's what I'm watching for almost every single day. Um, for Mason, it's if you continue to do what you do, you are going to play. Um, I think last year he gave Shanahan and the offense the confidence that he can be a, you know, I don't want to say a pivotal piece in what they want to do offensively, but he can be a contributor to what they want to do. Um, think Jeff Wilson Jr. when it comes to his role on the offense in 2019, you know, kind of came on late in the year, had some big plays, a big play in the Super Bowl before halftime. Um, obviously the game-winning catch against the Cardinals, uh, in the second half of the season, and then found himself on the roster over and over again because he was over-liable behind guys like Mostert and then Mitchell last year. Um, I think Mason can be that player, but again, stay healthy in the meantime. But if Mitchell gets hurt, I think San Francisco finds themselves three running backs deep of playable running backs. It's a good thing to have but I think, again, that big kind of asterisk is Elijah Mitchell, which does open the door for, okay, can TDP be healthy? Do they have to go sign somebody else? I talked about how, you know, if Dalvin Cook signs with Miami, could they cut Mostert? Could they cut Jeff Wilson Jr.? Um, I would not mind having Jeff Wilson Jr. back in the building. I know there may have been personal things said afterwards and whatnot. I get that, but comfortability, a knowledge of the players, sometimes things just realign and they connect I would rather Mitchell be healthy <laughs> but things happen and I digress but look Mason's gonna play Mitchell has to stay healthy and besides that this team like they are going to run the football left right up down diagonal whatever they want to do no one's going to be able to stop them this is just how freaking good they're gonna be um and also look Madden I get it your video game number two running back in football Chris McCaffrey Seriously? Do you see what he did against the Eagles last year? I mean, come on. Javon Hargrave, 84. Armstead, 82. I mean, God! Can EA be, like, any worse? Is any worse? Man. Anyways, let's get to what you want to discuss. Um, and that's tight ends. No, I'm kidding. Uh, tight ends are fine. Kills there. I talked about all the tight ends last episode. Listen to that. But you want to discuss quarterbacks. I want to discuss quarterbacks. I've made you wait 48 minutes to discuss San Francisco 49ers quarterback. I hope you have stuck through the entire show. And if you have, I want to say again, follow us on social media and also use our promo code 
on the screen or down below in the description, 49ers access, SeatGeek.com. Save yourself $20 off your first purchase. And now let's talk quarterbacks. Look, Sam Darnold, he's a starting quarterback, no doubt. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Sam Darnold is... <sighs> Where do you start with Sam Darnold? Um... I don't want him to play. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want him to play at all. Um, and that's because I think we know what he has been. Um, I recently hosted a show on 95.7 The Game with Dan Devone. He goes, I'm a Sam Darnold guy. And I, and I said, why? And he went, oh. Uh, I don't know. And... That is my question. For the fans who, you know, have this inkling of hope about Sam Darnold, my question is, why? Is it a new system? You know, the best offense in football when it comes to weapons? Sure, I get that. Could there be a new start? Many fans point to Steve Young. I get that. Um, Steve Young does not come around every once in a while. Um, Tom Brady's don't just happen every single year. Um, there are too many guys to get cut from four different places and get a job in the fifth place and still suck. Um, and there are too many of those to make me believe in Sam Darnold. Now again, being there at OTAs and minicamp, I didn't hate what I saw from a shorts-wearing, no-padded offensive line, a non-tackle, you know, a including practice. Um, so Sam Darnold's fine. He should be this team's third string quarterback but if he's able to string together three four five consistent practices make the intermediate stuff that makes Kyle Shanahan say hmm this feels nice like Brock Purdy if he's hurt it's kind of like Goldilocks and the three bears right Brock Purdy's hurt this porridge is too cold Trey Lance he's Huge play here, bad play here, too inconsistent. This porridge is too hot. Sam Darnold makes the easy play, makes it all look smooth and simple. You know, doesn't make a few mistakes, um, doesn't throw picks, makes the you know you know the the ten ten yard slant across the middle, the quick outs, all the easy stuff that you know most average quarterbacks can do. Kyle Shanahan might say, ooh, this is just right. I like this, and it can make him comfortable. Um, so I think for Sam Darnold, his job isn't necessarily to outplay Trey Lance. I think his job, and what I'm hoping he can do, whether it's as quarterback one or quarterback two as quarterback three, can he make Kyle Shanahan comfortable? If you make Kyle Shanahan comfortable, you can win football games with this roster. Again, I think his history points to that not being the case, but anything's possible. Um, then there is these two other guys who, I don't know who they are. Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. Who are they? And I say that, you know, being sarcastic, but the question really does stand. Who are Trey Lance and Brock Purdy? I don't think anybody truly knows who either one of them are. And starting with Brock Purdy... Um, we've discussed plenty of times, what are the expectations for him? I have to see him throw the football first before I put expectations on his season. Um, the other thing is, when is he going to throw? Like, if I'm going to have the expectations once I see him throw, 
I have to know when he's going to throw. And for him, I would assume it's going to be in about a month, early August, um, around the time that Raiders preseason game is, maybe a little after that, giving him, you know, you know, three weeks to kind of get himself ready for the season, um, or at least two weeks at least to be back on the field with his team and the offense. Um, I have no idea what to expect from him because I don't know, is he even going to be healthy? Um, but let's let's assume, you know, he is going to be healthy. Um, he is this team's starting quarterback, but with a last pick in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, who had this, in, this insane season last year that had stats among the elite quarterbacks in football, the question then becomes, is he going to return back to earth? Or is that just a glimpse of what we're going to have for 10 years here? Um, he's not going to get cut in the next three seasons because he's so freaking cheap. Um, he's a guy San Francisco is going to give every chance to to get back on the field and be healthy. Um, and there's been this weird mixed messaging or mixed me- messaging, excuse me, from the media. Because we have Brock Purdy, who I think every fan likes a lot. Um, but has questions, rightfully so, some of them jaded to a certain degree of their fandom towards Trey Lance. Um, And then you have the media kind of hating on Trey Lance, and I get life is life and things suck. We've talked very bluntly about his situation on the show, but we don't know what's going to happen. And so, in this case, for Brock Purdy, I think it's more of, you know, kind of like, Sam Darnold make Shanahan feel comfortable comfortable but to a higher extent you have to be that same quarterback because if you are not um this team is going to be involved in Kirk Cousins and trading for quarterbacks next offseason um or which is likely here if Brock Purdy let's say is healthy but isn't who he was last year or he's healthy starts week one but struggles or is having a hard time regaining himself even in training camp or if he plays in preseason to a small degree if he's having a hard time and they name him the starter and he struggles during the year um there are going to be boos and calls for Trey Lance um yes winning fixes everything that's why Garoppolo is here for his entire contract winning fixes everything he won a lot whether you like him a lot, he was a part of winning games a lot. And if he, and if Brock Purdy loses games, there are going to be fans saying, give us Trey Lance. And again, for Trey Lance, there's that mixed messaging again for him where it's, okay, national media is saying they lost faith in him. That's why Sam Darnold's here. Local media is saying they like him more than ever. You cannot have both of these people these groups of people who I respect immensely saying completely two different things. And then you have people who are close to Trey, like the players saying, wow, he'll be great. Different player. Um, he's improved so much in this area. Then you have his quarterback coach who helped him work with Patrick Mahomes, Jeff Christensen saying he's going to be a completely different player come training camp. And my thought was, he's going to be a completely different player from a month ago. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I I liked what I saw from Trey Lance. He ended 
OTAs and minicamp on a good note, on a high note. So my expectations for him would be if Purdy's in limbo of he might play, he might not play, he's healthy, he's not healthy, um, he might not be ready for week one, but the hope is still that. For Trey Lance, it's how do I become the most consistent version of myself? Um, is that taking more time in the pocket? I don't know. Is that, you know, making the easier throw compared to the hard throw that, you know, might make you look good on paper, but is a higher risk? Um, and I think that's where the kind of the duality of Darnold and Lance are, where Darnold could make Shanahan feel more comfortable early, and that might push him up the depth chart more. But for Lance's case, if he's out there slinging it and making mistakes, but also going, oh my goodness, 70-yard touchdown pass to Danny Greer on the, you know, on the hash, my God, he has to play. And fans are always going to gravitate towards the excitement, the oh my goodness, the you know, the, the wow, the, the home run play. And for Lance, I think he's more apt to do that. Um, but it's about becoming more consistent. For me, I know there's been accuracy issues. I know there's been early in OTAs and minicamp, there was this, you know, hesitation uh, of him to get rid of the football. Um I want to see Trey Lance come out day one with a commanding presence. Um, he has that in press conferences. He has that with the media. Uh, I think he has that in the huddle with the guys. Um, but I do think to be a starting quarterback in football, to be named amongst the elites, to have the, the moniker of first-round quarterback, number three overall pick, trading three first-round picks and a third-round pick for you to have that pressure on you, but to be able to grab that brass ring and say, look, I am worth the price you paid for me. Um, Trey Lance has to come out with a commanding, you know, I'm going to own this football field. I'm going to own the gridiron every single play. Every single snap to me, I own it. I am the freaking man. Um, I want to see him, you know, whether it's working with his mechanics, like he doesn't have to be perfect, but he's got to be as close to perfect as you can get to actually have a shot at being a starting quarterback of this team. Because if Brock Purdy even shows the slightest hint of being healthy by week one, I think it's his job. Um, but if Trey Lance comes out, again, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be pretty close to perfect if he wants to regain his job back. Um, I think for him, you know, it's can you reclaim your status as the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers? Because right now, people say you're a bust, kind of like Kinlaw, right? You get rid of a quarterback who many fans liked, DeForest Buckner, Jimmy G. Trey Lance, Javon Kinlaw. Um, don't play for a variety of reasons, whether it's bad play or getting hurt. Trey Lance, Javon Kinlaw. Um, that's just the way it goes, and that's football, and that sucks. But right now, Trey Lance has one job. It's not beating out Sam Darnold. It's beating out Brock Purdy. And for Trey Lance to do that, he has to be as near perfect as possible to do so. Because it is going to take take so much effort, so much play on the field to change Kyle Shanahan's mind. He has to change the offensive line coach's mind, 
special teams coach's mind, defensive player's mind, and Kyle Shanahan's mind, more importantly. Players can buy into Trey Lance. Um, they can believe in the quarterback they have in the room. If that coach is not confident, he's not going to play. It is up to Trey Lance to grab the bulls, grab the bull by the horns, and say, I am going to reclaim my spot, my title, as a starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, make all the haters say, you know, suck it, make all the you know the fans say finally. And for Trey Lance, like there has to be a vendetta or a chip on your shoulder of, I want to shut up every single podcaster like myself, every single media outlet, ESPN, Fox, who think they know, when they have no idea what I can be. I know people talked about, you know, San Francisco doesn't have time to train Trey Lance or watch his progression from raw rookie to elite quarterback. It's been three years. Time's running out. This is your last year to prove yourself. Come out there, guns a-blazing, balls to the wall, and own it. This is your last chance, likely, unless someone gets hurt, which <laughs> happens all the time with San Francisco Niner quarterbacks. Um, but this could be your last chance to prove yourself as a starting caliber quarterback in San Francisco. Um, go out with all you got. This is your only chance to do so. Make them believe in you again. If they've lost faith, make them believe in you again. Be accurate. It's, it, it's hard. It's hard to not be what you've been for a long time. Um, but show the progression. Show the growth. We've heard all these things. There's great things about you. Time to show the work you put in on the field. Um, it's going to be a hard job. I'm going to be hard on him. That's life. That's football. That is what it takes to be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, and that's the goal coming into this year. Look, there are so many conversations we're going to have from day one of training camp to the beginning of the season. Then podcasts come in every single week when the games start rolling out. You are not going to want to miss a thing. Thank you for watching and listening to our pre-training camp preview about rookies and veteran players of the direction of the team and quarterbacks especially. Um, I want to ask you, leave a like, leave a review, tell your friends this train is not stopping. Training camp is next week. Content picks back up. Then after that, it's we're just every single day, boom, 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 coming out with stuff every single day. There are going to be so many things to discuss. Camp battles, injuries, hopefully not, but maybe. Um, trades, cuts, so many things to discuss once practice and the ball will start flying left and right you are not going to want to miss a thing again use our promo code 49ers access at seatgeek.com save yourself $20 off your first purchase follow us on social media at 49ers.access is the instagram our twitter is where you are going to find a lot of the training camp and practice videos and updates and things you aren't seeing if you aren't there if you are there, come say hello, but follow us on Twitter if you are not there. 49ers underscore access for exclusive videos of Niners training camp posts, videos, and photos, 
and exclusive content to what Trey Lance is doing or Brock Purdy's doing and every single player on this team is doing once the balls start flying. Again, don't forget to leave a like, leave a review. My name is Sterling Bennett. A big thank you for watching and listening. This has been the 49er Access Podcast. And until next time, stay faithful.